Hosted by Shane and Derek, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Sends Hour Podcast. It's Shane. We got, as always, with Derek. And we are joined by the Locked On Sends boys, Ross and Brandon. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. We're on the uh, official countdown to World Juniors now with the pre-tournament starting tonight. So I couldn't be more thrilled. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you for joining guys. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. Um you know, you guys have been going strong for the entire pandemic. Um, it's been nice to see some consist- consistent sense content as the hype has grown. But, you know, we're going to get into it real quick. But we were talking earlier. How, how Tell us the stories of how you guys became sense fans, because you're both living outside of Ottawa. Uh, Ross, I believe you're in Toronto. And then, Brandon, you're in uh, Collingwood. So give a bit of, give our listeners a little bit of, or the ones who haven't heard, how you guys become sense fans. Well, I'll start because mine's a pretty basic story compared to Pillsy's. I'm born and raised Ottawa boy, Manor Park, went to Lisgar for high school right downtown. So, uh, yeah, just with that background and my dad always loving hockey and introducing me pretty young. I, I like to say that I'm a day one Sens fan, but truth be told, I was born a month before their first game. So not that I was there cheering them on as a one month old, but uh, soon after my dad was season ticket guy and I uh, just kind of fell in love with the game from there, watching the goalies, the pads, the helmet design, and ultimately got into the position myself. But uh, the Sens being an amazing team as I got into high school and those developmental years, I think really kind of made my love take off. Like first year of high school for me was when they made it to the Stanley Cup finals. And just the lead up to that was it was pretty exciting. And then when I moved away, I lived in Halifax for a couple of years and then came back and ultimately went to to Toronto where I met Pilsy and we could get into that. But when I was outside of Ottawa, it really gives you kind of a connection to your hometown. At least that's the way I felt about it. And uh, yeah, the community on Twitter is great. It's always active. So uh, yeah, there's definitely just that community aspect. And then I just love the game of hockey. So a uh, pretty simple love story right there. Yeah. Ross is one of those guys that was born to be a Sens fan and uh, I'm sure we'll die a Sens fan from day one <laughs> right to the end. I have a little different story. I didn't grow up in the Ottawa area. I grew up uh, close to the Guelph area on a, on a farm. So I didn't really have any uh, allegiance to a, to a town. That's for sure. All my friends were Leafs fans, couldn't stand them. I got into hockey right around 1998, 99. Dom was, uh was the goalie for the Buffalo Sabres. And I, I had never really seen much hockey, and then I watched some Sabres games, and just watching Dominic Hasek do what he does, like, there's nothing more exciting. Like, he doesn't care about uh, poise, positioning, doing things the right way. There's one goal in mind, stop the puck, and I don't care how you do it, and he made it exciting. So I saw him, and I latched right on. I was a Sabres fan, then I was a Red Wings fan, and then the Sens signed him, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to be a Leafs fan. I'm no chance on being a Habs fan. Why don't I stick with the Sens here? They got my favorite player. I was hoping he would stick around a little longer than, what, half a season uh, with all the Olympic uh, drama going on. But ever since Hasek came along, the Sens were a great team at the time too, so it was easy to hop on the bandwagon then, and I'm still riding that bandwagon. All right, boys. Yeah, kind of cr- oh, go ahead, Shane. Sorry. It's kind of crazy. You're saying like 90, 97, 98, 99. I'm just like, I was two three years old at that time like 
I mean, I, my first memory was my first vivid memory was the 03 game seven against New Jersey. That's like my first vivid, like disappointment of any kind of like sports was, was game seven losing that. So just realize like, you know, there, there's good memories from an early time. And if you're not, you know, it's good to hear about people who, who remember those times. All right, guys, I wanted to uh, welcome you to the show and, and just, uh, you know, say thanks for having me on your show a couple of times. So it's nice to be able to switch shoes here a little bit. Um, I have to ask you this. I, I'm going to go to you, Ross, for this one. Tell us how in the world you got the famous Bruce Block the other day. <laughs> oh, man, that one was a long time coming. And as we said on our show, and I guess I can say his name now, we said that, that he, we're blocking him in return. A little <laughs> you do it to us, we do it to you type thing. But we do appreciate his work. And I even started the, the tweet that got us blocked with good article. I was just curious because you know how you add the E in Stutzla when you – put the anglicized version on. So in his article, he did it twice for Robbie Yarventi. Of course, they do have the umlaut on the A, but in Finnish, I do not believe you add a letter. So I just asked him why that happened twice. And if that was, maybe I was wrong. And I uh, got no reply. I would have preferred like a pompous reply. Like, oh, well, this is just how I did it. Sorry, my editor. Whatever it was, whatever the case could be. But uh, yeah, we earned it. And uh, and that's on uh, onwards and upwards. It'll be fine either way. But uh, yeah, we'll have to leave him behind, unfortunately. Man, uh, I, I heard the story on on your podcast, but uh, just wanted to give it to our listeners as well. That's uh, quite the story, and yeah, it's, it's not all really good. Over. He's he's been covering the team since day one. Like, I, I I don't know if it's a little entitlement there, but he's been doing a great job. Like, he he pumps out content. You said Shane that you appreciate that we're doing a consistent job, but Bruce Garriott through the pandemic, like you've kind of heard a lot of the. The Ottawa writers have been pretty quiet, but Gary Ox just pumping out. He's a machine. So I do have to tip my hat and give a little respect, but uh, it'd be nice to get a bid in return as well. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's the funny thing about this, uh, Ross, is we we reference his articles all, all the, the time, time. All, all the time. time. And we, we did. We did. Credit, you know, but uh, hey, if, if that's if that's how it's going to be, that's how it's going to be, I guess. All right, Pilsy, I'm going to go to you for this one. Um, you guys are both goalies. Uh, you talk about it all the time, goalie-friendly show on your show. Um, I'll ask you, you guys have great on-air chemistry, by the way, but but who's the better goalie? Let's try to split some of that chemistry up right here. Well, I'm glad you came to me first. I'll be totally honest. Uh, Ross definitely played at a much higher level of uh, goaltending than I did, but Hey, you can only play as good as uh, the opportunities presented to yourself. And like I said, I grew up on a, in a small town on a farm. So I only had so many opportunities. And uh, so I was a house league all-star, but I, uh, I definitely had my work cut out for me playing house league goalie. But I did the best I could. You know, it's too bad the scouts couldn't make it out to Arthur Ontario Community Center for Sunday night games uh, at the midget level. But that's their loss. See, midget level, though, Pilsy and I were probably toe-to-toe then because I think I peaked a little too early, probably around um, Bantam, I would say, when you're like, whatever, like 14, 15 is. And then in, in high school, started getting a few other interests that uh, took up a bit more of my time and maybe were detrimental when you looked at uh, how that affected my game or my my consistently. Because when you get to to that level and you're kind of gearing up to hopefully be drafted the OHL at that age, you're, you're really kind of putting the rest of your life, your social life by the wayside. And even just the ability to go to Ottawa Senators games, I was losing out on that. So um, kind of made a decision that I wasn't going to focus as much. And holy, I think I ended up getting a cup of coffee at the junior C level. And if you can still find my stats online, like maybe a double digit goals against average, it was not pretty, but had a great time with the boys. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that. Hey, you play for the love of game, and you go as long as you as you can when you're playing competitive. Do you guys play beer league? Yeah, but not as a goalie. Um, I, I play player now. I, I just can't get into the the whole stretching routine. And when I play goalie, I, I did. For it's usually you know you have your friends who who you've kind of grown up with, and if they don't have a goalie for theirs, they know that you're around. And I still have my gear, so they'll ask. And if they're in a pickle, then I'll I'll go do it. But I guess this kind of leads me into a decent story. Last time. Uh, I got called in. I was halfway to the rink, and I had forgotten that I actually you have two, like, I think they're nicely painted goalie helmets, and therefore I don't want them just sitting in my bag all the time. So I have them out on the shelf, and I realized halfway to the game that uh, I didn't put my bucket in my bag, and 
that was enough where I'm like, okay, not playing goalie anymore. The uh, career is signed, sealed, and over. But yeah, uh, I, uh, my my goalie career is pretty much over as well. I, I haven't been on the ice uh, as attendee in a long time. You honest. signed up for rent a goalie though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, that's what I was going to get into. I actually I, I wanted to get back into it. Uh, there's a I was living in Toronto at uh, at the time, and there were so many opportunities for rent a goalie, and I signed up to be a rent a goalie. I got my profile approved. I got everything ready to go, and then uh, when you know it, COVID hits, and uh, rent a goalie no longer a thing. I don't think. I mean, I haven't heard of rent a goalie in Ottawa. Is that like a? Is that do you, is that common? Because I've never heard of rent a goalie. Yeah, the, the the company I was with uh, actually, they said they had, from what I remember, they had uh, opportunities in Toronto, Ottawa, and maybe it was Vancouver, but like three three major cities. And it's honestly, it's basically Uber for goalies, right? Like uh, like Ross said, a, a beer league that needs a goalie, they just hop onto the app. You click through a bunch of goalie options. You get notified, all right, this team needs you at this arena at that time. You show up and you get paid. So it seemed like a fun opportunity for me to make a, a little bit of side cash, but too bad that's not going to happen these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to look into that. Um, you know, you guys were the first ones to give Sense fans a little taste of the new face of the franchise and Timmy Superstar Stutzel. What is he like? What is his personality like? What was it like, you know, interviewing this kid? Pilsy? I was going to let you uh, take it off since you got the got the big interview get, but I could lead it if you want. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll start just by how we got him on. It was just a simple email to Mannheim PR. And it was just as simple as I know you had Igor on your show as well. Just an all-around great dude. So once we chatted with him, I said, why not try to reach out and get as many of these draft picks as possible on the show? And it's luck of the draw. So I didn't hear back from Moncton in terms of getting Philip Daoust on, but you do for... Tim Stutzla and I have the background of being a producer at TSN 1050 every day. So I think that one of my best attributes is writing emails. I think I'm pretty good at pitches and uh, that's just kind of what I went about doing it. And uh, it just, we had worked out. It was a situation where the time changed. It was an overnight email. So it was really nice to wake up to, but then it was almost three weeks from getting the interview to actually producing it. So that was a, a time where, you know, you feel like you have it in your back pocket, but at the same time it could slip away at any moment, which we think has happened with our latest, which would have been, I think, a bigger interview than Tim Stutzla. Um, but still knock on what it could happen. But in terms of Tim, and we were in a little streak there with Igor and then Tim. Like, we're interviewing these guys where English is their second language. And my biggest takeaway of speaking with Tim, you know he's going to be gracious, but his ability to speak the English language and communicate and kind of get slang here and there. Like, Pilsier and I are very casual on the show, so... Um, just getting to chat with him, and I was actually surprised because it had been almost two months since he was drafted. He hadn't done a single English interview. So I think it also reflects well on Mannheim, too, to get their name out there positively. I know Pilsy asked about the atmosphere in, in their home games. So that's just kind of how you sell it to the team and, and say, it's, you know, the, our fans have taken a big interest in your team. Why don't we do something here? So um, I think it was as simple as that and a bit of luck as well. And man, uh, what a superstar personality as well as a player. This guy was great. Really appreciated having him on. Yeah, it, it was awesome to get him on. And just like you could tell that uh, he's just a happy-go-lucky kid. Like we we got him on quickly and he he just right away opened up to us. He he had a bunch of laughs for us. He was he was really candid about all his answers and that it's a big deal for him. I'm sure most, like Ross said, most of his interviews in the DEL have been all in German. So doing a, a casual, uh, conversational English interview was probably a big deal for him, and he nailed it. Yeah, it came across so well. Like, uh, you guys hinted at, you know, one that slipped away. Uh, we've had the same thing happen a couple of times as well, but uh, I, I know you can't tell us who it was, but... <laughs> We reached out to, uh, I'll just say it, we reached out to Eugene Melnick, hoping that uh, we would get him on the show. We were you know, kind of shooting for the stars a little bit, but uh, it definitely makes me wonder when you say it's a bigger interview than Timmy Stutzla, because right now, like, there's a real taste for Timmy Stutzla. Yeah, definitely. I just think you mentioned, Shane, that he's the face of the franchise. I thought we were actually going to get the, the real, in my opinion, face of the franchise. But hey, maybe we will still, but the beauty is, boys, now we're we're getting real hockey to talk about. Talk about milking those 10 games of the no-match especially when only half of them played in more than three. 
but it, it's just amazing to be able to talk about on ice hockey, getting back into that. And, um, and that's just what I'm looking forward to. World Juniors, like it ended on such a high note last year. That gold medal game, Canada, Russia was ridiculous. And I'm just wondering what they have for an encore here this year. Yeah, we're going to get into some World Junior talk real quick, but I want to get you guys' opinion on what you've seen from the NODAC Senators. You know, when, I know for, for Sanderson and Clevin, it's a little bit of a small sample size as they've only played three games, but, you know, what's your opinion on what you've seen out of JBD and Pinto so far in, like, the, what is it, seven, eight games that they've played? Yeah, yeah, they, they played their full 10 games now, and JBD leading the entire NCHC pod is a plus-eight player, and uh, I know some people think that that's an overused stat, and hey, maybe it is, but when you're a guy who consistently produces those kind of numbers, then it starts to be a trend that is a good one. If you want to be on the ice more goals for than against, that's the hottest take I will stay on this show. I promise you that. But he's good in his own zone. And what I like about JBD is that we saw flashes of offense. There was that play in one of the first few games. I think it was when Sanderson and Clevin were still there. You try to spin a ram at the point, like even it wasn't even like a, a PK where it's on a break in. They already had possession. He just thought that was his best move to open up space for him. So he's always thinking ahead. And that's where I kind of transition to to Pinto because that guy is a face-off wizard, but he's one step ahead of everybody in the offensive and defensive zone. Um, I see a lot of, of two-way ability in him and a lot of clutch ability too. So uh, pair that up together and then you throw out these these undrafted guys. Like talk about Reese Gaber, talk about Jordan Kawaguchi up front. A guy, Jordan Kawaguchi had 10 points in 10, 13, but he had points in each of the 10 games. That's, that's ridiculous. So all in all, it was just an awesome experience to watch them. And when they're wearing black, you know that they're going to win the game. I think they're something like 25 and 6. Uh, wearing their their Sunday best, as Brad Spoffman called it. And uh, I just love watching them play, and and hopefully there's more of that to come in the new year. I know they're not going to be going back to the pod. They're going to be trying to, you know, tough it out. We've seen a lot of postponements, cancellations, uh, among other conferences that have tried that. So I hope that we get the most out of their season because watching Pinto and JBD has been a real treat. Yeah, and uh, I'll echo most of what Ross said, but uh, for, for me, JBD, and we talked to play-by-play guy for uh, Midco Sportsnet, Alex Heinert, and just, just a great guy, as you can hear on the broadcast. And I brought up to him that there was a, there was a stretch, a three-game stretch, where the, the UND Hawks were, were without a lot of their defensemen. Sanderson and Clevin are gone. Then Ethan Frisch goes down. So they only have five defensemen for multiple games. And JBD had to carry a lot of that weight. And he played pretty solidly in those games. So that's a big sign to me that he can handle um, anything that you really throw at him. And he's going to do it with the best of his abilities. And yeah, Ross, like Ross said, he helped out offensively too. And then on to Shane Pinto. This is what I say every time. But the 18 for 18 faceoff wins that one game, like... That is just absolutely incredible. Like to to be so skilled at the faceoffs is such an important skill at the National Hockey League because it's all about possession, right? And whether you're hemmed in your own end or it's an offensive zone faceoff or even in the neutral zone, if you can get your team the puck to start transitioning to offense, that's gonna it's gonna be so important for your team going forward. And then Sanderson, short sample size, but that. His first goal, that slap shot, what a boom. Like, he wasted no time getting that off. That's sick Selly after, and he did everything else right. Like, we know he's a good transition defenseman, so he did that so well in all zones. And then finally, Clevin. Clevin was a big question mark. I think JBD, Pinto, and Sanderson, they did what we expected to a, an excellent level. But Clevin, there was a lot of doubts that he could play uh, in his own end well, that he could handle the puck. And what does he do? He absolutely dangles one of the defensemen on the opposing team gets the toe drag and snipes it top shelf and he still does what we expected him to do laying guys out with open ice hits no matter what the score is two two minutes into the first game he had a shift where he knocked two guys on their back end so you you looked at and then you look at up seven one like Pilsy's referencing against western michigan and a forward coming out the boards with his head down just popped him so when you, when you can put together that meanness that not everybody has on the back end, that's when you know you got the K train coming, and I'm so excited. I think that, like, is USA trying to, like, hide their lines from us? They're the only team right now. I have no idea what, what their roster is going to look like. They play in a matter of hours. 
because this is the game. They only have one pre-tournament game now. Can Clevin make enough of an impact that he is guaranteeing himself a spot in their lineup? Whether they go 7 or 8D, you can dress those extra players in international play. But I just want to see more of him because he, he impressed so much in those three games. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's excited, like, excited to see what Sanderson and Clevin could do. I know a lot of people push back on the, the Clevin pick just for them to be excited seeing him at UND. Uh, we're going to actually jump into the World Juniors, and we have four prospects. Um, which one are you guys most looking forward to? We'll start with Ross. Out of the four, obviously not on Team Canada. You kind of hinted at Clevin, but who who do you think is – who are you more excited to see? Oh, these four prospects. I'll do this. We were just talking to Brandon Plant yesterday on Sense Talk, but it's not out yet, so we'll get an exclusive. I wanted to do it international style. We'll do a, a bronze, silver, and gold, but I'll only focus on the gold because he asked me just for the one. So Clevin is is my my runner-up, but only because I don't feel like he's going to play as, as big of a role as maybe the others will. Stutzla would be my number three, and if Reichel and Sider – we're in the lineup for Germany. That would go up to one, but they're not. He's going to have to do a lot of the work himself. I think he'll do some, but Germany is going to be a tough team to get to the quarterfinals. Then number two is going to be Robbie Arventi. And I put a little wager down that he's going to lead the entire tournament in goals, but I just like the long odds on that. But Jake Sanderson is my answer because of USA's depth up front. They need a guy to step up on the back end. And Cam York is the natural guy, 19 years old, been at the tournament before. But only Alex Turcott is another fifth overall pick. Nobody else on this USA team has been drafted higher. And when you listen to Nate Lehman, the head coach for Team USA Talk, he is going to play Sanderson until he can't anymore. And I'm excited for that. I think he's going to play in all situations, maybe start on PP2. But I think he's going to work himself up on that top unit really quick. He's Mr. Fundamental. He's good in his own zone. He's good offensively. A coach's dream. And he's going to play so He's going to play the most minutes, I guess, would be the simplest way. I'm most excited to judge the largest sample size. But I think what he's going to do in that time is going to be exceptional as well. Yeah. And for, and for me, I think uh, Ross made a big point. Obviously, finally, we get to see Timmy Stutzla on the ice in competitive games. But with the unfortunate incidents that have happened with team Germany, basically all pretty much other than JJ Paterka being left, all of his supporting high class NHL talent um, teammates are, aren't going to be with him. And that makes it really hard because I can, I can see a lot of double teaming or uh, teams just totally working on shutting down Stutzla. And then if Paterka or one of the other guys beat just so be it. So it's going to be interesting to see how Stutzla handles this, but I think he's got the C on his uh, jersey. So we're going to get to see how he, how he is as a leader, not just on the ice, but off the ice, especially in these hard times in a pod. Like the, the captains for these World Juniors have quite a uh, task on their shoulders. Like this is so different than any other year. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I just can't wait to see our third overall pick finally getting on the ice here. Absolutely. And I'll just note that uh, the lines for Finland were just released and Robbie Arventi playing top line with Anton Lindell. So that's going to be a, a sick one to watch. Uh, Pilsy, I'll go back to you for this one. Uh, we probably agree being Canadian that uh, Team Canada is going to be the strongest team in the tournament. Who do you think their best competition is going to be? With this one, I'm. it's tough, but I think I might go Team USA. And uh, obviously there's some bias there with Sanderson and Clevin. But when you have probably, we had Tony Ferrari on our show from Dauber Prospects and he proclaimed that Jake Sanderson is the best defenseman in this tournament. So you got probably the best defenseman, probably the best goalie in Spencer Knight. I mean, you could argue Askarov's right there, but when you have either one or two, in uh in net for you for this style of tournament that's massive crazy and, they both went 11th overall hey in back-to-back -back years yeah that, that is random that's for sure so so they're gonna be seeing who's the better 11th overall pick and i just think team usa they they got something to prove like they haven't really made a lot of noise uh in these tournaments lately so i think they're gonna be coming coming for that goal pretty hard but i doubt they have any chance to take it away from canada with what what is it 20 first rounders on the roster good luck with that is that good? <laughs> uh, Ross, uh, what are you thinking there? Do you think 
you know, Canada all the way? Or do you see someone as being really, really close? To that? Uh, I mean, just so I have a different answer, because I'd probably lean USA. I think their goal scoring is there. Trevor Zegras is a guy who could be in the NHL if Anaheim was already underway. He's an amazing player, playmaker. Alex Turcotte, I could say the same thing for. Offensively, they're not going to struggle, but they also have Spencer Knight back there, and that's what makes them so important. Now, how can their D shake out? That's up in the air. Also, same situation with Russia. But they're always tough. And they have Vasily Podkolzin, who we didn't even offer him as an option when we asked Tony Ferrari, like, who's the MVP favorite? I gave him five options, and I didn't have anybody from Russia, maybe a scare of, but he said, I'm one off the board. And this Podkolzin, a Vancouver ninth overall pick from a couple of years ago, he was so quick to say that. And they've got Rodion Amirov on there. They've, they've got some, some talent, too, from the CHL, which you don't often see. Kuznadinov was a guy, when we were doing our draft prep, this guy jumped off the page with Schwinnigan. Uh, so I know that they're always a tough out. So I'll, I'll go Russia, but I'm, I'm also got half. I'm in a hedge. as a goalie-friendly guy. The two best goalies, they're going to have the best chance to win. So USA and Russia. Absolutely. And uh, Ross, I'll start with you on this one, but I'll get uh, both your takes. But uh, Timmy Stutzla and Germany versus Canada on Boxing Day. How hard is it going to be to cheer for Canada in this game? No, I learned my lesson. Sorry, I learned my lesson 2014 Olympics. Uh, Daniel Alfredson going up against Canada in the gold medal game and even Eric Carlson. But at the end of Alfie's career, you always want to see those guys go out winners. And it didn't even matter to me. It's Canada all the way. Like, let me know when you're wearing the Sens jersey and we'll talk. But uh, there's no chance that I would be cheering for Germany over Canada. I know Pilsy could be a little different. He's got that German heritage. But for me, I'm pounding the over on Canadian goals. I don't even care if it's set at 10. And uh, I hope it's a blowout. Yeah, yeah. With with me, there's uh, there's a little more emotion for me cheering for Team Germany. I they've always been my second team after Canada. So what I would say to that is, I hope it's a four three game in overtime. Timmy Stutzler gets the hat trick, but Canada pulls away with the win. Yeah, that's exactly what how I would answer too. You know, you want to see Timmy Stutzler succeed, but you also want to see Canada win. So I love that answer. Oh, you're muted, Shane. There we go. Um, I think Canada's going to run away with it. I can't wait to see Timmy Stutzel on the ice playing against people like you know his own age group instead of against men. I, here's a question that I don't think a lot of people talk about: Sanderson versus Byram. You know, Ottawa gave up the chance to draft him uh, last year. Gave it to Colorado. Then we go ahead and draft Sanderson this year. Is that something that, you know, sense fans should be looking at, or is it kind of a, a non-discussion point that, you know, people are just going to grasp that straws for? Well, it's an interesting, I mean, they're both top five picks, but for me, the comparison will always be Brady Kachuk, Bowen Byram. You had that choice in 2018. We're going to make the pick or keep it. I'm not really one for revisionist history after that. Like, th- like once that is, then the trade is, is the trade and then you move on. So um, yeah, once they took Brady Kachuk and, and the amount of impact that he's had, Think about it. Like, was Brady in the World Juniors last year? No, he was scoring 20 in the NHL. So when you look at that time frame, it's it's a no-brainer. And there's so many good defensive prospects. And this isn't taking anything away from Bowen Byram. I think he's a fantastic player wearing a letter for Team Canada. That speaks uh, volumes in itself. But when you have Brady Kachuk, the franchise we call him on our show, that's, uh, that's who I'd prefer than Bowen Byram. So are you – so – Continue with Kachuk. Are, are both your picks for Kachuk for captain then? I know DJ came out and said that today, I think we, in a Gary Ock article actually, that... We wouldn't know. Yeah, we wouldn't have seen it. <laughs> um, he came out today with an article and he said that, you know, DJ and Dorian came to the conclusion that they won't be naming a captain this year, but that Kachuk and Shabbat are the front runners for it. I'm assuming both of you guys are on uh, Team Kachuk for captain. Well, I'll start off since I'm devil's advocate. I'm actually Team Shabbat. And uh, look, here, here's my here's my thinking behind it. The best part of Brady Kachuk's game is getting under the other team's skin. The friendship tour, as uh, Sen's Prospect likes to refer to it. And you, wa- I want him playing that kind of grinding, rat-style game. Grimy. I, I, I don't want any... Trenches. Yeah, like get dirty. Get Roll the in the mud. Be an elephant in the mud. <laughs> yeah exactly so i want brady focusing on what he does best 
He doesn't have to worry about, you know, being being political with the refs, you know, dealing with the media after hard losses, all that kind of stuff. No, you just focus on ripping it up out on the ice, keeping the boys energized. You know, you always see him yapping on on the bench just because he's out of the game doesn't mean he's not involved. And that's what I want to see from Brady Kachuk. Whereas and I think for a captain, I like a calm, steady presence as captain. I don't want a guy who, when you're winning, he's on cloud nine, and when you're losing, he's down in the dumps, right? I want a guy who can be steady. And Thomas Shabbat has shown that he is a steady, even-keeled guy. And I think that he's the kind of guy that can lead you through tough and good times without without a hitch. And I don't think putting the captaincy on him changes his game too much. And I don't want to say that putting the captaincy on Brady will change him that much because it it probably won't. This is a guy from a hockey family. Like he he has places to get advice from if his he needs has been a captain multiple stops. Yeah. So he he understands that. I just prefer to have a calm and steady presence as a captain and let Brady run loose on the ice. I mean, Shabbat's already on the ice for half the game, too. So when you're talking to the official, there's that. I mean, I'm Team Brady. Just I see him as like that Jamie Ben type captain where we saw how much it affected him when Pilsy said getting too low after a loss. There's that heartbreaking video of him just sitting in the locker room for uh, what seemed like hours after uh, they fell in the Stanley Cup finals. But you can't really go wrong when you have those two. And to re-reference uh, Tony Ferrari on our show on Monday saying, don't discount Jake Sanderson. And is he too young? You're probably going to name a, a captain before that. But this is a guy who's worn a uh, captaincy for two years at the U.S. development team program. And when you do that, you've got your leadership qualities. And, and that's uh, apparent with Jake Sanderson. Now, do I think that that's realistic? No, because they're not going to wait two, three years to do that. And he's not going to pull a Crosby or Landeskog and come in and be a captain right away. But it is uh, an interesting note, and like he also said, he'd be shocked if Sanderson doesn't end up wearing a letter for uh, for Ottawa going forward. How much do you think the contracts um, play into this captaincy discussion? Because, you know, Brady, we know, is unsigned yet. I mean, he has one year left on his deal, and then they've got to re-sign him, but he's an RFA. Yeah, um, a lot of kerfuffle with that, but when you, when you think bigger picture – it's more the UFA, right, that, that you're looking for. You know that you're going to have his rights beyond that. It's just can you get him – you know that what really hurt me was when Keith Kachuk made that final plea on Ottawa Radio that they needed to sign Mark Stone. And when when that didn't, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to affect that relationship going forward. So it would be a huge breath of fresh air, like you're insinuating, to get him locked up for eight years right away. Absolutely. And that might be tough to do. Like his brother signed a bridge in Calgary and, and you have to think that the family's probably involved in the negotiations. So he, and he even held out a little, didn't he? Yeah. Like he didn't come until he missed training camp. If I yeah. remember correctly. He did. And it's a little bit different because Calgary didn't also was kind of pushing the cap with, with Matthew when he became an RFA, if I remember correctly, Ottawa was going to have like 50 some million dollars in cap to just throw around it, money shouldn't be an issue when it comes to Kachuk. It literally should just be eight years, just blank check. How much do you want? But then that sets the tone for everybody else. And we saw how that worked out when first the Toronto Maple Leafs give the big money to Tavares. Then Matthews is like, well, if he's worth that, I'm worth this. So you want that internal structure. Whereas in Boston, you could sign anyone. Like Barshan comes up for negotiations. Bergeron is making 6-8. It's like you're not making more than this guy, period. Krejci's so, the highest player at like oh, seven right. two, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Krejci is the, the highest paid, and that guy's sneaky good, especially in the playoffs, uh, just as an aside. Oh, yeah. he's uh, He gets so much hate by Boston fans. If you go through Boston Twitter, he's always the person that they just rag on no matter what. And it's kind of disappointing because he's put up like 60-point seasons without consistent wingers. And there's teams that would just kill for that kind of production. Yeah, one interesting note about uh, Brady Kachuk, and I know it's a big agency that deals with them in Newport, but it was also brought up when Mark Stone was in his negotiations that Brady Kachuk's mom's brother, so Brady's uncle, is one of the agents at Newport. So you know he's getting some pretty good advice when it comes to contracts. Yeah, I think Haley mentioned that on our show uh, last time as well. Nice. And just, just kind of, you know, insinuating that the family would definitely be part of the negotiations. As they should. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. How, okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to get 
uh, your thoughts on the Canadian division, what you think the Sens are going to do, and if there's a chance that they can squeak in the playoffs. And we're also going to do um, Haley's hated segment, uh, Keeper Trade World Junior Edition. So we'll be right back after this quick message from the Euro Puck podcast. Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, heya, and previet, hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. If you want to keep updated on all of the latest news, scores, or standings from across the European hockey world, you want to get some insight from some very interesting guests discussing their stories with hockey and how the sport grows around in Europe in different interesting places, or if you want to keep updated with all of the leagues across Europe that are either playing, have been suspended, cancelled, delayed indefinitely, then do check out our latest episodes of the Europuck podcast every Friday as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a YouTube channel, the Europuck Podcast, and you can listen to us wherever else you get your podcasts. So check us out every Fridays and we'll see you there, folks. And we are back. And we talked World Juniors. We'll be talking a little bit more later on. But let's dive into this Canadian division. Uh, Derek and I have been kind of adamant on where we see the Sens finishing and who we think is going to step up and fall. What's your predictions on where you think Ottawa falls in this Canadian Canadian division? And, you know, goalie-friendly show. So how much do you think Matt Murray is going to play into that? Well, I mean, uh, I would love to say uh, something controversial, but I'm going to go with the easy answer. And I think it's pretty clear the Ottawa centers are going to finish at the bottom of this uh, all-Canadian division. But you know what? That's not the worst thing, right? Like, this, this is a transition year from rebuilding to being a contender. You're not quite there yet. So you, it, in it, in a way, it's sort of a blessing in disguise, right? Like you're going to be playing playoff teams all season long over and over and over. You're going to be building these rivalries. And I think Matt Murray, as, as far as Matt Murray is concerned, this is going to be a great opportunity for him too, because he's had the last couple of years with a backup goalie creeping behind him, trying to take his job. And now he can feel a little more comfortable. He's got a big ticket for four more years he's easily the number one guy there and he can feel that look if I can play good night in and night out get a groove going here I can find my game again and he's going to be facing stiff competition so I think it's going to be a bounce back year for Matt Murray for sure but unfortunately I do think the Sens will be at the bottom of this division and even if it is a bounce back season for Matt Murray I still see him as the fourth at best the fourth best goalie in Canada behind Markstrom Price and Hellebuck and maybe a toss up between Holpe Demko that uh, tandem out in Vancouver and clearly better than Edmonton's duo but then the offensive firepower they have I'd say more than makes up for it up front so I'm gonna have to agree with Pillsy it's gonna be uh, seventh out of seven for the Ottawa Senators in the uh, Canadian division or the north as we're calling it so Shane you're the optimism <laughs> king for this one because uh, you have them finishing I think uh, third from the top, fourth yes, from the top. I was thinking fifth ahead of Edmonton okay. and uh, Vancouver. Whoa! I, I went with seven as well. I went with the safe choice, but uh, but it you never Clef know. Clefbaum being out for the rest of the year it puts a bigger hole into Edmonton. Their biggest problem was getting, keeping the puck out. I don't know how much losing Clefbaum. But them hope with that. Yeah, but even with that decor, they still made it uh, to the return to play and. Yeah, Chicago took care of them, but I wouldn't want to go up against Taves and Kane in a five-game series at the best of times. So, I don't know. I, I guess that is a bit of a hot take there, to say the least. And you have Vancouver finishing at the bottom? Yeah, I just – I I don't – it's not the Demko and, and Hopi situation. I just feel like they lost the depth that they had last year. The, their, you know, defense, they got Schmidt, but, like, is it really enough to offset what they've lost from what they had last year? And, you know, TJ Miller or JT Miller played great. He had 72 points. No one really expected that out of him. If he regresses, how much does that hurt? There's just so many question marks around that team that I think if they come out slow, that with a team like Edmonton and Calgary and Winnipeg, if they come out slow, they're just, they won't have any kind of chance to catch up. 
But I mean, JT Miller, he's not playing on the third line in Tampa anymore where, where he's kind of still putting up 47 points. It's a lot different when you're playing with Elias Pettersson and he's able to put the puck on your stick. I get what you're saying. They did lose a lot, including Jacob Markstrom. And we mentioned they replaced with Holtby, sure, but that's still a big loss to Foley. But what do you really have him to Foley? 11 games? I think that uh, I think that there's enough depth. And then you look at another year of Quinn Hughes. These defense, when they don't peak till they're 23-24, and you saw what he did as a rookie, I think the sky's the limit for him. And uh, that's why I've got Vancouver in the middle of the pack at the, at the least, even challenging towards the top for me. I've got him at number two, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. We have, I think, our one-twos are the same. We both have uh, – he has Toronto-Calgary one-two. And I think Winnipeg is number three – or it was number four – I think it was Edmonton. We have them here still. Yeah, I think I had Vancouver at three. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's what we have. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I think some teams are gonna, if they falter early, they could be done for for the entire, for the rest of the year. I don't know if there's gonna be much catch up available in the season this year. But then, what if you go into a, a four game series against a team, you beat them four times? I think that could catch up pretty quick. No. Yeah, but I mean, that's how many teams are like that, though. That's the thing is that everything will happen on the schedule. But I think if you're if you're a team chasing, um, you know, one team, and you go into a three four game series, yeah. But if you're not, if you lose two or three of those games, there it's going to be hard for teams, I think, to catch up if there isn't these like four games, these four game matchups, um, at least for each team. Because there's like a, a one here and there, you're kind of screwing yourself. But if you're two and two. Like going two against you know Edmonton and two against Calgary, if you don't, if you're chasing both teams and you lose, you know three out of four of those games, well, you're not getting anywhere. But if you lose three out of four anytime, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit different in a regular season. If you lose two games, two or three games against an East, if you're an East team and you lose two or three against the West team, and then other teams in your conference or division kind of falter ahead, it's a little bit different than having to play the same teams you know, eight, nine times in a one year. At least in my opinion, that is. Like, if you're, you're, you don't have those easy wins as much. Like, Toronto doesn't have, like, Detroit, New Jersey, Ottawa, Buffalo, and Florida to go against every uh, every couple of games. It's the same thing with, you know, Audi, oh, for, like, Edmonton, Vancouver. They don't have, like, the, the California teams to go against. So the Canadian division especially, it's going to be hard for them to separate if they can't start off early. At least that's how I look at it. Right. If one team falters, for sure. But when you're saying that it's going to be pretty even by the sounds of it, if it's going to be competitive all the way through, then it seems like there's going to be a lot of these series splits. And that would make it even more important down the stretch to to not lose three out of the last four games to really give yourself a chance. I just think it's going to be great for the game. The fact that we're guaranteed to see two all-Canadian matchups in the second round of the playoffs, that gets me fired up because – you know, usually the last few years, even when 2017, when Ottawa made it past the first round, they were the last Canadian team already. And this year you're going to get four, um, at least to start, and then two in that category. So I just can't wait. I think it's going to be fantastic hockey. And uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see see if that stands true or if we're going to have some shuffling. I hope for the league's sake that we get some shuffling and it's not whoever starts hot finishes one, two, three, four. Let's get some, some uh, fun here going down the stretch. And speaking of that schedule, uh, a little bit of maybe leaked news, but uh, Ottawa will open their season against the Maple Leafs uh, January 15th and 16th. So back-to-back games against the Leafs, um, as reported by uh, Graham Nichols on Twitter. So uh, that's going to be an exciting start to the season. How do you guys feel about that? Hey, I love going up against Toronto right away. Like, think about the Austin Matthews game. The only thing I remember from that game is a W. So (laughs) so let's start the season off right. And, uh, hey, I wouldn't be surprised, like, we're talking series here. Like, if the Ottawa Senators, they're going to have a tough time going two, three-game series against some of these playoff contending teams out West especially. But I think you're going to see the Senators grind teams down. And by the time that third game in a row comes – Ottawa is going to have a jump on these guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see at the end of these two, three game series that the Sens win those last couple of games. And I'll go on record. I don't know if it's a hot take either, but I think the Sens lead the North division in fights this year as well. I think they're going to be a, a malicious team to play against, to say the least. Yeah, I'm there with you. No doubt with uh, some of the additions that they made. No doubt.
Yeah, we um, even saw we even saw Batherson chuck Knox twice in the AHL, and he did pretty well for himself. I think he may have fought in the NHL already too, but he's had a couple of good tilts in the in the minors too. So shout out to Trey. Got into a fight with a shoulder injury. His like, first game back. Yeah, these guys are not afraid to throw down. And now that they got some big boys behind them in Goody Brown, uh, Watson, you're gonna be a lot more confident out there. That's yeah, you sure. skate a little taller. Yeah. We, we don't want to see Will Landon fight. So if you're listening, Christian Will Landon, I know you're not, but don't fight. <laughs> um, yeah, not with that shoulder injury. No. <laughs> um, let's just get your takes quickly on the uh, helmet ad uh, that we're seeing. Uh, Washington just released theirs and the New Jersey Devils just released theirs. So um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see them, but uh, what do you guys think of the whole helmet ad idea? Yeah, I caught it, and I, I feel like it's going to be consistent across the board. At least it's two for two so far that it's the naming rights of the arena that, that are going to make their way on. And to me, as long as the color combos there, couldn't care less. Uh, keep the jersey sacred. I don't want any ads near there. But if you got to put one on the pants, don't care. Put one on the socks, don't care. Keep the jerseys clean. Anything else, fair game for me. Yeah, for me, I, I don't mind the helmet ads whatsoever. Uh, look, guys, we're in a global pandemic here. Like, oh, uh, Really? <laughs> the cash flow for these teams, no fans coming in, no concessions, probably less merch being sold, no no beer, no food, all that stuff not happening. you got to make up this money somehow. Now, I know the helmet ads are more like a make good for all the ads lost uh, last season, but uh, I'm fine as long as it's done with taste. I don't even mind if they put an uh, ad on the jersey. Like the, the way the NBA has it, I don't mind that. If it's done tastefully, you got to bring that revenue back. And I, I'm more about the longevity of the league than uh, how my jersey is going to look when I put it on every once in a while on the ODR if I ever make it out there. So as as long as they're doing things with taste and it's not getting out of control, like the, what they're doing in Europe, that's out of control. Like that is just – you can't even tell what ads are on there. There's so many. So as long as it's done – Like a NASCAR. Slowly, yeah, exactly. That's what it looks like. So as long as they do it right, I don't mind. Yeah, that's fair. We have to realize, you know, like you guys said, we are in a pandemic. They've got to make some money back somewhere. Uh, I have no problem with the ads either. I think they're small enough. And like you said, they're color coordinated uh, from what I've seen so far, because I know um, I, I believe Prudent uh, with the Devils. It's a blue ad typically. So they did color coordinated at least to uh, the Devils uniform. So I would expect, like you said, Ottawa, probably Canadian Tire somewhere. Uh, on the helmet and probably color coordinated, although it already is. So, yeah, so it wouldn't be a huge deal. Um, let's get into this next segment. This is uh, the one that Haley <laughs> wanted us to ditch, but we kept it anyway because it, it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. Um, so I'm going to read you guys the names of two players, and we're going to do a World Junior Edition. And uh, all three of you uh, will get a chance on who you're keeping and who you're kind of ditching. So we call it keep or trade. Um, let's start things off with a Senator's defenseman, uh, prospect, uh, Jake Sanderson or Jamie Drysdale. Ross, we'll start with you. Oh, you're putting my, my heart against my will here with, uh, with putting a Canadian there, the two top defensemen taken in the NHL draft Were they, it was back-to-back picks, right? Anaheim at six, uh, was the next pick. So, uh, no, I got to stick with my boy, Jake Sanderson on this one. I think just the all around completeness of his game. I'm going to keep him, whether it's just for this tournament or whether we're talking about entire career. Yeah, I, I'm keeping Sanderson 100%. He was the best defenseman taken in the draft. <laughs> I mean, just by stats and uh, by popular opinion, I would say. And sure, is is Drysdale a better offensive defenseman? You could make the argument. But Sanderson is a complete defenseman that can play in all three zones. And I think... People don't fully value the the art of being good at transitioning the puck up the ice. As a defenseman that's going to play a lot of even strength, power play, shorthanded minutes, being the guy, it's kind of like a point guard in basketball, right? Like you want your point guard to be able to make a good first pass to get the play going. It's the same thing with the transitional defenseman. And Jake Sanderson does that better than any young defenseman I've seen. So for me, that's easy. You go keep Jake Sanderson all day, definitely. And Shane, uh, I have a feeling I know who you're going with here. Oh, Sanderson. For the same reasons, right? So uh, we have a consensus there that all four of us are going with Sanderson. This next one, I think we'll get uh, a more split opinion, but we'll see. Uh, Anton Lundell or or Cole Perfetti? Uh, Ross. 
Oh, that's a nice one. Are we talking just for this tournament? Like who I'm who I'm more excited to watch pretty much? Or are we talking more in terms of career? Yeah, I like to imagine that we have either of these players that I read out as sense prospects. So, you know, who would you want more oh, okay. kind of on the sense? Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Well, I'll go with Anton Lundell just because we knew he had a complete game. I feel like he's like the forward prospect version of Jake Sanderson, where you're like, okay, does he have that much offense? Boom, he has a four goal game earlier this year. He wore the C this year. In the league, like how many players at the World Juniors can you say have been a captain in a professional men's league? Not many, but Anton Lundell is one of those guys. So that's a guy who I'd want to keep in my organization as long as possible. Yeah, I'm going Lundell as well. And just when we were looking at him as, I mean, he probably wasn't a guy the Sens were going to target, but he was a highly touted first round pick. And the thing that kept coming up is he's so good defensively, like, you know, he's not going to put up the points, but he's going to, you can pencil him in as a third line two way center for probably the rest of his career. And then what does he do? He absolutely explodes offensively. So this isn't just like, ah, he's good defensively. Maybe we'll chip in. No, he's good both ways, 200 foot player. So I don't think it gets much better than Lundell. So I'm keeping Lundell here. Yeah, I'm going Lundell. Wasn't a huge Perfetti fan. Don't really know how much of an impact he's going to really make uh, in the NHL or even at the World Juniors this year. I think Lundell has is going to be a, a catalyst for Finland. So taking Lundell here. I like your choices. So yeah, we're going to get consensus uh, back to back. I'm a fan of Anton Lundell. I think uh, Ross. I love the comparable to Sanderson on the defensive side. I think that was great. Um, I'm going Lundell. I, I know Cole Perfetti could solve a Rubik's Cube in under a minute or something, whatever that uh, scouting analysis was of him. Uh, he's a smart kid for sure, and he got like a seven. Nasty on shootouts too. Yeah, he's got hands. He's got hands for days. Like he's he's a great prospect, so don't get me wrong. But uh, I see Lundell. him as more like uh, Mikel Granlund in his prime. Like I feel like they're really small, shifty players that can play on the wing or up the middle. And uh, yeah, a guy who I still would like to have on my team. But when you give me the complete game that Anton Lundell has, I think of Anton Lundell as, as if we're going to make another comparable to like Amiko Koivu, uh, a guy before him. I think that that kind of leadership quality with production is too good to pass up. Love it. I, I love Lundell. Uh, yeah, I was kind of hopeful that uh, he would be drafted by the Sens, to be honest. But uh, all right, here's a, a goalie one for you guys. Uh, we talked about both of these players earlier, I believe. Spencer Knight or Yaroslav Askarov? I, I'm going to lead Spencer Knight here. And uh, I think uh, similar to to what I said about him uh, being with Team USA, I think he's a stud of a goalie. I think especially the Florida Panthers are realizing it. Like they drafted him high. They've got Bobrovsky signed for a long time. But what they've done is they've expanded their goalie coach staff to a bigger staff than anyone in the NHL, as far as I know. Uh, there's four guys specifically that are working on these goaltenders, one of them being legendary Florida Panthers goalie Roberto Luongo. So I think he's he's going to have a real solid career. I can't wait to see what kind of role he's going to have under Bobrovsky. But uh, yeah, I'm going Spencer Knight here. And it's worth noting, too, that not only Roberto Luongo, but his brother is one of the other four guys. So two Luongos out of four on the uh, goalie excellence category there. And I'll take a Skarov just because the electricity that he plays the positioning with. With Spencer Knight, he is your technically sound six foot three, covers the bottom of the neck and move quick hands. And he plays the puck better than any goalie I've ever seen. But Askarov's no chump either. The way you saw him dangle forward early in the year before the draft. And I was like, man, can I have a third defenseman back there as well? So they're both elite at that, even though Askarov catches backwards, but we'll give him a break for that one here. Um, just watching like, He's so low when he moves. You feel like he's he's going to kind of overcommit one way or another, but he can kick out a leg left or right. It doesn't matter. He's so fun to watch, so I'll keep a scare off here. And Shane? I'm taking a scare off easily. If, you know, I've seen comparables to Vasilevsky, and I mean, you know, this guy came in and was basically a Vezina Trophy finalist from, you know, the age of like 21, 22 if he can be anywhere near as good, I think uh, Nashville has a, a fantastic goaltender to replace Saros or Rene. I think he, he's too the too much of a big package to kind of give up on. 
Yeah, I, I heard um, Brad Allen talking about Askarov, and he got me completely fired up for him. Um, so I've got to go with Askarov as well. I think uh, he mentioned that he could be like a generational talent. Um, so if he's that good, I'll, I'll take his word for it. I have a hard time scouting goalies, so uh, I'm going to go with Askarov. Uh, a couple of Americans for you. Uh, Cole Caulfield or Arthur Kaliev? Belzy? I think I'm going to go Caulfield here. And uh, look, I, I'm the first one to admit when Shane Pinto was drafted, I was like, what are the Sens doing passing on Bobby Brink and Kaliev here? Um, but <laughs> I don't feel that way anymore. I'll tell you that. That's for sure. Shane Pinto has definitely proved that uh, he was the better prospect there. So, yeah, I'll go Caulfield. I hate to agree with you, Pilsy, but I'm going to do the same. I just see them as two goal scorers and Caulfield doing it a higher clip. Now, what would Caulfield put up in the OHL? That, that to me, is, is a, it will always be a mystery, but I think it would be even more than the 50 that Kaliev got. I just think that he can get to his spots. Well, do I think it'll translate to the NHL right away? We might have to wait a little bit. There's not too many guys like Caulfield, but I do also see a little Cam Atkinson in him. So I'll, I'll lean Cole Caulfield for sure. Yeah, I think we're all on, on Caulfield. Yeah, I agree there too. Um, okay, a fun one to finish it. Uh, I know who everyone's taking on this one, I think. Uh, Timmy Stutzla or Quentin Byfield? <laughs> yeah, th this is tough because the, the entire time leading up to this, I, I was on Byfield all the way. Like the, the idea of Quentin Byfield and Brady Kachuk playing together, like that just that made me so excited. Like that's a top line that can put the puck in the back of the net while also making you look silly. And uh, they're going to beat you down physicality. And then those scrums in front of the net, there's going to be no problem there, but I got to go with my boy, Timmy Stutz. So like Timmy superstar, he's an Ottawa Senator. Now he maybe is, he's going to have a way different game style than Quentin Byfield, but that's a good thing. I just said, I liked Byfield a lot because he uh, compliments Kachuk's game. Well, it's good to have a lot of different skill sets in your franchise, and especially when you can get a player that's as dynamic as Stutzla. I see him more of as a playmaker than a sniper, so he's going to be setting guys up like like Dadinov, like Batherson, uh, Josh Norris, depending on whether Stutzla plays on the wing or at center. So I, I think Timmy Stutzla is the right choice in the end for the Ottawa Senators, and I'm fired up to see him in a black uniform, unfortunately without the umlat, but uh, still going to be good to see him. I'm going to hedge. I'm going to say in this tournament, Quentin Byfield will have the bigger impact, but I am 100% biased, so I'm taking Timmy Superstar as well. Yeah, I'm taking taking Timmy Superstar. If you if you pay attention to, to Twitter and whatnot, I've been very like critical about Byfield. I like Stitzel's just versatility, being able to play on the wing in the, like, and down the middle. You can pair him with almost anyone, and they should produce. So Timmy Superstar easily. All right. Well, I was honestly, I was drooling about both prospects prior to the draft. I really, really liked the idea of Byfield and Kachuk. Um, but then Timmy Stutzla, his play driving abilities, his playmaking abilities. I mean, it's hard to match that. Uh, and obviously I'm taking Stutzla. Um, I'll turn it over to you, Shane, for the next uh, little segment. Yeah. So before we go, we, we do this over under thing. We've done it with Haley and we kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, we, in a 56 game season, we're doing this over under. We set the bar at 22 and a half wins for the Senators. And this is including uh, overtime shootout losses because they count as half a win. Uh, I think uh, Derek had them at like 25. I had them at like 27. 23. Yeah. yeah. You had them at 23? Yeah. yeah. So I am at 27. I think with Murray or Hogberg, we're going to go to overtime quite a bit. So we're going to get those extra points that way. Where do you guys see the win total for the Senators this year? Uh, over or under 22 and a half? I know there's some projections having them at like 18 total and like 12 regular re regulation wins. But what, what do you guys think? Elsie, go ahead. The Well, first off, the 12 regulation wins, I think uh, that is that is too low. That's way too low. Um, I, I think that's a nice over under to set 22 and a half because that's, that's right around where you want to be. I'm going to go under, but just barely. I think they probably finished with between 20 and 23 wins right around there. I think Roz is looking something up. 
Oh, no, I, I wasn't sure you're coming to me right away there. So uh, I'll, to answer the question, I'll go over, but I'll go between. It's going to be somewhere between 22 and 27, uh, probably closer to 22. I just think that the way the Sens are going to play, which is going to be physical, which is going to be in-your-face hockey, that lines up well in this setup of multiple games against the same opponent. I think a lot of times you'll see Ottawa win the second and third games of these series, whereas if it was a regular schedule, yes, you get the worst teams. I know these Canadian teams, they're all vying for playoffs, except for Ottawa, really, if you're being realistic about it. But I don't think that's going to stop Ottawa from stealing and playing spoiler in a lot of these situations. So I just can't wait to get it underway. And if the Sens lose but play um, insightful hockey in terms of going in on the forecheck, never taking a shift off like we saw often in 2018-19, then I'm going to be very happy with the progress of these young kids. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's, hey, it's it's a little bit unfortunate that we weren't we won't be able to see the actual progression of this team because in a normal year, I think everyone was expecting them to finish outside of the bottom five because of the, this division. There's a good chance that we still finish in the bottom five. Um, you know, guys, what what's your real what's your most your biggest expectation for this team outside of the wins losses? What do you guys want to really see from a player or the team as a whole this season? Well, I'll, I'll start with Logan Brown. I think that's that's the biggest player that I want to see something from. I want to see him get a third-line center role, get some good uh, line mates beside him. I, I personally think Balsers, Batherson would be the great uh, two wingers for him because they have familiarity in Belleville. They played really good together. And look, Logan Brown, maybe he's not ready for a top-six center position, but he has the size. He has the vision. He has the playmaking ability. He has the shot. If you can ease him in with that third line center role, I think he can have a breakout year. None of this fourth line sheltering him with a couple minutes uh, against weaker opponents. That's not going to do it. That's not the prospect Logan Brown is. You heard Pierre Dorian say it himself. He's probably the most talented prospect they have. So get him in an opportunity where he can succeed. And I think you'll see a big year from him. And I think the Sens are going to keep him around after that. Yeah, that would be great. For me, I'm going to go with Colin White because right now he's penciled in as my number one center on this team. And the way he played last year, he doesn't deserve to be. But just the way the numbers shake out, especially when you look at salary and commitment long term, they said he put on a lot of weight this summer. He's stronger, which is something I thought he needed to improve on. We know that defensively he can think the game really well. He was always touted as that two-way guy with maybe not the best offensive upside. And I want him on the first line. As long as now we're realizing, and maybe we don't like it, but that Stutzla is going to start on the wing, that opens up a spot down the middle beside, yes, Evgeny Dadanov. And I think that maybe that could jumpstart Colin White's offense a little bit. I hope so, because he can't have another season like next. It's just, that would be very detrimental. And I might take the under on Sens wins at 22 if Colin White does not improve from last year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think everyone expects something big from Colin White, the term, the money. Last year was a down year. He ended he ended strong 13 points in like the last 28 games. But you know what, guys? It's been – we hit the hour mark. I know we were trying to keep it under to keep – you know, we have the – I think this uh, U.S. game is on at 6. We have so. three three of the four prospects playing at 6.30. Uh, so Yarventi, Clevin, and Sanderson. Yeah. So we like the – like to thank you guys for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. Hopefully we can have you guys on again probably before the season and maybe do like a full season preview and a uh, kind of a camp breakdown of what we saw and what we heard from what's going on inside the arena. Yeah, it'd be awesome, man. Thanks for having us, uh, Shane, Derek. Really appreciate it. And anytime, we're always happy to join. Yeah, it was fun doing a live uh, video show. It's a little different for Ross and I. Usually we hide our ugly mugs and uh, edit out all our bad mistakes. So this is a little different. It was fun. Hey, nice uh, nice of you to dress up too, Pills. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm not going to lie. When we first started doing these live shows for the network, I was a little bit like uneasy about it. But, you know, it's been a, been a hit for, for the most part. Every episode gets a good amount of views, so... Thanks for coming on, guys. It was great to, uh, like I said, to switch shoes. It was awesome. All right. We'll chat later. See you guys. Have a good one, guys. And there you have it, guys. Uh, that's basically the end of episode seven in season two with the uh, the boys from Locked On Senators podcast. Great guys. Very insightful. 
Hope to have them on again in the in the new year once we're closer to the season. But as always, you can find us at sends underscore hour ninety seven or sends underscore hour. Find me Shane Shane underscore Ryan ninety seven. Derek D Lee 075. I still need to figure out why you did the 075. You still haven't explained it. Oh yeah, I I could do that if you want. <laughs> yeah, like 075. It just it seems like a random set of numbers. Yeah, uh, 75 was my hockey number growing up. So I went with. 075 because D Lee 75 was taken. So I oh, threw a zero. Okay. So before we leave, how did you end up with a number? How did you end up with 75? Because when I played youth hockey, like when I played it, um, we were we were capped at 30. And then when you went to competitive, you were capped at 40. How did you end up with 75? <laughs> That's another story. So it was like a uh like a faulty misprinted jersey that I ended up with initially. Uh, and then it just kind of stuck. Like I just stuck with, I always wanted 75 and, uh, and just kind of requested that every year. <laughs> so uh, I ended up with it for most seasons. There was uh, some seasons that I had to go down to, I think I went down to seven for one year. So, uh, so yeah, that's the story behind D Lee 075. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think my two numbers were 30 and 15, Martin Berder and Danny Heatley. Cause that's when I started playing, those were my two favorite players. Yeah, Eater. I mean, he was one of my favorites too back in the day before, you know, before all the drama. Yeah. Fuck Houston. <laughs> Literally the one thing I hated about this entire franchise was hiring Corey Houston. Yeah. He ruined a great team. Um, but you know, guys, we we are gonna get ready for the uh the hockey, you know, some meaning not necessarily meaningful, but meaningful hockey for the first time in who knows how long. We get to see some sense prospects in it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can catch this episode if you want to listen to it on podcast forums Thursday. New episodes Thursday, Monday. And, yeah, guys, thank you all for coming out. and hope you enjoyed it. We will catch you next time. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. For anyone who's in Ontario, lockdown's coming up, so stay safe. Get your shopping done if needed. Um, but we'll catch you back here on Monday with a brand-new episode of the Suns Hour podcast. Take care.